Well, it is, it is an honor to, to be with you this morning, and, and thanks for letting somebody uh, from a, a sister church in the city come and share with you. Uh, I love getting to do this. I don't get to do this kind of thing very often because we are church meets in a home, and so most of the time I'm not amplified with a microphone. I project my voice throughout my house. So this is a little different, but I, I'm glad to be able to do it. I want to say a little bit more. This, just, just to be clear, I'm, I want to share a little bit about myself, but obviously this message is not about me. I, uh, my family and I moved to the Seattle area in 2015. Uh, we came to plant our life in the city, uh, to, to meet people, to engage lostness, to, to love people who don't yet believe, uh, love them well, and be on mission with our church. And so we do that to, uh, I feel like even this far in, I still have so much to learn and I don't know what I'm doing most of the time, but don't tell anybody I said that, please. Uh, I, I, when we moved here in 2015, it was my wife, Adrienne, my daughter, Evie, who had the, she's now 11, she was three at the time. And now we have added to our family, we have a, a three-year-old daughter named Sophie and they're the joy of my life. I'm going to tell you something about myself that's going to relate to this message uh, that most people don't know, and that I am, I am a performance junkie. I am a guy who wants to get things right, to be perfect, and I strive towards being perfect. I would imagine just the, the couple of times I've been here on a Sunday morning, I, I imagine there's some other people that are in here that are like me who you spend a lot of time wanting to do things well, maybe it's break a personal record in running. I'm trying to get my, my mile time down from way too high to somewhat lower. And maybe you have something like that where you spend a lot of your time looking to be the best, to compete. And I'm a junkie with, when it comes to those things. I, I really, my wife tells me that I need to stop being around people who are like me. Because we're, we're, all we do is just uh, try to outperform each other. The problem with that is that I'm not good at performing. And so there's a, there's a disappointment in that. But, but I think it's still, that is still a gift from God to me. Because... It reminds me daily how much I need to remember the gospel, how much I need to remember how Jesus' life, death, resurrection, his continuing life matters to me now on a, on a Sunday morning in November and on a Monday morning in November. And so I'm, I'm a man who continually needs to hear the gospel. So one of the things that God willing that we do together is that we share the gospel with one another in a different way uh, through this text of scripture. We're going to look at Luke chapter 17. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read it in a moment. But I want to tell you that when I was given this passage and I read it, I was disappointed. F forgive me. Because it's, I'm not disappointed in God's word, but it's the kind of thing where I read this passage and I've read it for years and I didn't get it. I, it didn't hit home for me. And the best way to illustrate it is to tell you that there's a, we have a small group that meets in our house on Thursday night, and we were looking at this passage together because I was wanting to get the kids' opinion of this. And I asked them what they thought the main point of this text was. So I'm going I'm to read it, 
And then I'm going to tell you what they said. So this is Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he, he is Jesus, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And so when I asked the kids what they thought the main point of that text was, one of the answers stood out to me. And that, and that answer was from 80. And she said, the main point is, say thank you or else. And I thought, that's exactly what I think this is. And it, like, that's exactly, and it was a mirror reflecting what I thought about this passage. But there's, there's good news in this, that this passage isn't, this isn't about say thank you or else. This passage is about pointing us not to healing, not to the gifts that God gives, but the more merciful gift which is a relationship with the giver. And so we've got, we've got three, three points that we're going to talk about today. And the first one is this. We're going to talk about the mercy that the men wanted. The mercy that the men wanted. I want you to notice, as Jesus was walking through this unnamed village, as he entered it, he was met by ten lepers, and they cried out with a loud voice, say, they seems as if they kept their distance. They lifted their voices and said, Lord, Jesus, Master, have mercy. So if you're, if, you have, if you're familiar with leprosy, if you're familiar with some of the Old Testament codes, these men recognized and the, and the community expected them to stay away at least 50 paces. So they had to call out and say, stay away from me. But at this point, they're, they're still calling out. They're still staying away from Jesus. But they're also saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It seems as if these men knew something or recognized something about Jesus that maybe the others in the village didn't. It doesn't say anything about the other villagers. It doesn't even mention what village it is. But it seems as if they knew something about Jesus that the others didn't. They, they call him master. They call him, they cry out to him and say that they're telling him, you have authority. I don't know how much authority that they understood that he had, but they knew that he had some sort of authority. I would imagine that there were some rumors around town that there was somebody out there doing miracles that they had heard those rumors because Jesus had been in this area. He had been preaching and teaching and he had been doing miracles. And imagine that these guys, even though they're not part of the community in the village, they're outside of it. Even though they're, they, there's, 
they're not part of that community. They still heard the rumors. And when they saw Jesus coming with his disciples, they cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy. Something about Jesus' character and something about Jesus' authority stuck with them. And each of them together cried for mercy. But I wonder, as I think about it and look in this passage, and especially about how they act later, I wonder if they're all asking for the same kind of mercy from Jesus. Now, jumping back to their leprosy, this was, as I started looking at this passage, I actually didn't recognize this until I studied, but this kind of leprosy is not what we think of typically as leprosy which is Hansen's disease. It's a neurological issue. This is probably just merely a skin issue, a various skin issues that they had during that day. Some were contagious, some weren't. Most of it was probably debilitating in some way. But the, the biggest issue wasn't the disease. That was a big issue. But the biggest issue wasn't the disease. It was the fact that the, the disease made them outsiders. It made them outcasts. It took brothers and husbands, sons, friends, neighbors, and put them outside the village, 50 feet away. They were excluded from the meals that they used to go to. They were all the gatherings that they would usually attend or the holidays they would spend with their family, they were not allowed to be a part of that. So they came together as a community of the lonely. Outsiders, people were scared of them. People who longed for the home that they lost. And maybe, maybe, maybe they saw themselves and maybe the people around them saw these 10 men as cursed by God. We don't know. It doesn't say it, but maybe. But definitely, these were, these were men that seemed rejected. And they cried out for mercy. They cried out for mercy. I don't cry out for much. They cried out for mercy. Now, mercy is, is a word that's often vague, at least to me, and, and maybe misunderstood, um, I don't think that these men got together as they saw Jesus coming down the road and said, okay, what are we going to say to him? Let's plan it because we got to get the words just right here. I'm not sure that that's what they did. I think they, they just cried out and they used the words they knew. But some, I need a definition of mercy. And the best way that I can do that is, uh, at least as far as I know, is to share a story with you. This is somewhat personal, so please don't share it with anybody. Uh, two Thursdays ago, again, small group at my house, we were, my, my daughter is, is doing school at home, and so we were going to do a science project with the other kids that are part of our small group. And so my wife got pink balloons, and so we all started blowing up balloons. And as we blew up the balloons, and everybody's holding them, and I get the brilliant idea, because this is a dad idea, I'm going to get one, it's going to be bigger than theirs, and I'm going to sneak up on them, and I'm going to hit them with it. I know they're not going to get hurt, so I'm good with this. I'm not, I'm not afraid to hit them hard with the balloon. And so I, I take that balloon, and I go up to the first one and hit her, I think it was my daughter, and then I just hit the other kids. And they turned around, and they wondered what was happening. 
And then they figured it out that I was starting a fight. And I was determined to win. And so were they. And so we, we went around our house. We have a small living room. And we were just hitting each other with balloons. One of them popped. My, my three-year-old got scared and started crying. But we pressed on. And, the, and I got two balloons, and they got more balloons. And then finally, they got tired of me winning. And they, get, they got together and pushed me down onto the couch and just started wailing on me with the balloons. And my first thought was, I can't believe I've come to this point in my life and I'm being beaten up by all these kids. And then, and then my second thought is, please stop, please stop. Have mercy, have mercy on me. Now, they didn't stop, by the way, just, just so you know. That's why it's personal. But here's the thing. I was beaten by balloons, and they kept hitting me, but I deserved it. I earned it. If grace is getting from God what we do not deserve, if grace is getting from God a good gift from God that we don't deserve, then mercy is similar. It's not getting what we do deserve. It's not getting what we do deserve. Again, I'm not sure they, these men discuss the difference. But I think what it tells about them is they understood that there wasn't anything that they deserved from Jesus. I think they recognized there wasn't a thing, there wasn't a thing that they could ask for him that, from him that, he, that they deserved. They didn't default to being the victim and victimization. That idea is common in our day. And oftentimes, the idea of being a victim is a barrier to people coming to Jesus. Now, let me tell you what I'm about to say. I know it's complicated, and I, and, and I recognize that. I have enough conversations with friends who aren't believers and, and friends that are that we, life is more, co more complicated than I'm going to make it right now. But... In many of the conversations I have with my friends who are not believers, when we get to the part, of, when we get to talk about sin, most of them real quickly will dismiss it, even if they understand what that word means. Most of the time, they don't understand what that word means. And so I try to use other words. But they'll say sinful nature doesn't exist. And then they'll say, and if it does, I don't have that. And then there's the thought, that, the thought that everyone is a good person. Everyone's a good person. Some people do bad things because they've been victimized. Now there's, again, there's, there's some truth in that. But oftentimes it misses something. It misses that not only are we victims, but we are often perpetrators. And it, we are people who need something from God that we don't deserve. And we also need God not to give us what we do deserve. So don't buy into the common lie that we should get a pass for our failures because we're victims. But cry out for mercy. Ask for help. Cry out for mercy. These men did not, these men knew they didn't deserve anything. But they cried out to the one who would give them what they deeply needed. They didn't come from a place of pride saying, I deserve it. They came from a place of humility saying, I need it and you can give it. And he does the same for us when we call out. 
So the first thing, the first point is the, we're talking about the kind of mercy that men wanted. Second, we're going to talk about the giver that is greater than his gift. The giver that is greater than his gift. Jesus' gut level response moves him. Here, in this particular text, it doesn't record Jesus' inward response. It's actually pretty rare that it talks about his inward response. But in Matthew 9, I think what it says in Matthew 9 about about Jesus' inward response to the crowds is his inward response to every crowd. In Matthew 9, it talks about how that he, he was teaching and preaching and going through all the villages, and when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion, for they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Now, now let's not think here that he, he just saw the innocent people. There were no innocent people in that crowd. He can see people for who they really are. He can see us for who we really are and have compassion. And it moves him. It is his compassion, his his natural response to suffering. Whether it's the suffering that we caused or, or somebody caused to us or the natural suffering of disease. But Jesus, you see it here, he's not reluctant to help. It's in his nature to go to those who have real need. It's natural to him. It's easy for him to do that. And what he's doing here when he is healing these men, he is restoring God's order back to God's intention. He's restoring the way things are in their body and in society back to God's intention, both in their physical body and with their relationships. This is what it means by his, his kingdom coming. But notice what he, he called on the men. He didn't, he didn't just heal them. He called them to trust and act and trust. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. He, notice he didn't say, you're healed. Go show yourselves to the priest. That was all part of his plan. But what he was doing at this moment is he's saying, He's saying, do, do you trust me? Do you trust what I'm saying enough to act on it? Now go and show yourselves to the priests. Jesus commands us to act on our confidence and our trust in him. If we rely on him, we'll follow him. Not, these men are not working for Jesus' compassion. They're going in response to it. Leviticus 14, if you look at Leviticus 14, verses 2 to 4, um, write that down, look at it later. It gives, it gives the law and what people were supposed to do when they were sick with skin diseases. They were supposed to go to the priest, and if the priest saw that they were healed, then they were to be let back into the community. So that's what Jesus is inviting them to do here. But the point here is that Jesus invited them to trust him to do what they... Jesus invited them to trust him to do what they asked for, and they did, and each of them was healed. There are no fireworks in this, no news cameras, or no social media blasts about what happened, but this was the defining moment of these 10 men's lives. 
They had an encounter with the living God and they were changed. All acted in some kind of faith, but, but one man's faith was different by nature. And you can tell by the way he responded. One of them, one of these men, unnamed, one of them could see the mercy that they really needed, not just the mercy that they asked for, not just the mercy that he asked for. All of them asked for mercy, but nine of them were satisfied with only what Jesus could do for them. So all of them asked for mercy, nine went and did what Jesus said, one came back because that particular one was not satisfied with just the healing. There was something about who Jesus is and what Jesus did for him that he was compelled to come back. It seems as if those nine loved Jesus' gift but left the giver. One, the one that came back, had the eyes of faith to be grateful for his healing but also to be awed by his healer. And now if you look at him, he comes back and he's praising, it says in verse 15, and then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. He fell on his face and he humbled himself. And here's the thing. Anytime we have an encounter with God, anytime that God makes himself known to us, it always leads to some degree of wonder. Anytime that we are in his presence, anytime that we recognize his presence, maybe a better way to say it, anytime we have an encounter with God, it always leads to some degree of wonder. And it's often through the wonder of his love. Now, I had another illustration here, but I think I'm going to, I think I need to be a little bit more personal. Before we moved here, it was two, that probably around 2014, 2013, 2014, I was working in the oil and gas industry, and I had a corporate job there, and um, I, was at, I was at home one day, and I don't know how to say this, but I was very aware of recent sin in my life. I told you I'm a perfectionist. I'm a performer. So, so I'm, I'm really, really good at, um, I'm really good at beating myself up. And so, but there is good reason. And there was a specific sin that I had, um, that I indulged in. I don't know another way to say it than that. And I was grieving it. But it wasn't the kind of, it's not the, the grief that leads to repentance. It was more the grief that makes you depressed. And so I was laying on my couch, and I think it was before any of my family got up, my wife and daughter got up. And I was laying on the couch, beating myself up and saying, saying God, when am I going to have, when am I going to get victory over this? And... And it felt, if you've ever been there, I hope you haven't, but if you've ever been there, then you know that's a very, it's a defeated place to be. And the evil one loves to just heap, to heap shame in that situation. And I had, 
I'd graduated from seminary. I'd taken classes on the cross. I'd read all the books, at least all the books that I knew about. And I was laying there on my couch, and I was thinking, when is this ever going to end? When am I going to get over this? And, and at that moment, I, and I really can't explain it to you, but it was as if all the times that I heard the truth about the cross and resurrection made sense all of a sudden. When the thought came to mind, there was not my thought, because I'd never th thought it before. The thought came to mind, Wes, stop punishing yourself for this. Jesus was already punished for this. In that moment, my soul lightened, and I was like, wait, so the thing that I teach and I, and I preach and I talk about all the time is real for me too? In that moment, that was a, a very simple encounter with God, but there was an encounter where more than maybe any time in my life, I understood the wonder of his love that I didn't deserve anything from him, but he gave his love to me anyway and, and paid my debt. And so there's a Anytime we have an encounter with God, it leads to some degree of wonder. And I would say the way that we need to encounter God is to encounter him through the wonder of his love, the love that he gives us that's undeserving, that we could never earn. The nine seemed to miss the greater mercy because they were satisfied with their healing. Only one of them could see the giver through the gift that they received. One man, a Samaritan, had the kind of faith that could see the gift that's greater than the healing. And Jesus, to him, was more than to all the others. So the mercy the men wanted... And then the giver that is greater than his gift. And then, and then finally, the faith that makes us whole. The faith that makes us whole. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you're maybe familiar with. You've heard these verses, they're often quoted. But I think I want us to hear it again because I need to hear it. I need to hear it fresh all the time. Let me get to it. Ephesians 2. 8 and 9, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. I want to I point out that this was written to believers. This was not written to people who didn't yet believe. They believed. This is something that we need to continually hear. That it's not, our, it's not based on what we can do to earn anything from God. It is based, based on his grace through faith. Jesus said here, notice what he said. He said, 
in verse 19, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. He's saying, or some translations say whole, but Jesus made this man whole. The word there is the word that is other places translated as saved. It's not merely about his health. It's about his whole life. Salvation is more than health, and it's also more than being redeemed from our sins. It's both. It's all. It's everything that God wants to do. But it's primarily about what God does to redeem individual people and bring them to a relationship with himself. I want you to hear this because I think this is really good news. This is probably the best news as I'm studying this passage. This is the best news from this passage as far as I'm concerned. We are not saved by our ability to have faith. Let me say it again. We are not saved by our ability to have faith. We are not saved by the strength of our belief. We are not saved by our sincerity. We are not saved by how hard we work to believe. But there's something in me, there's something in us that deep down we think if I'm sincere enough or I believe hard enough, maybe you haven't said that, I've said that, I mean, if we, if we are sincere enough or believe hard enough, God will do what I ask. And maybe there's a subtle a subtle thought there that maybe God has to do what I ask. We may come to God with this impression, this thought of, if I do my part, then you need to do yours. And then maybe those of us who put our faith in Jesus, maybe we think, I'm saved by faith. I come in, I'm saved by faith. But now I've got to be grateful and my whole life is proving how grateful I am for what Jesus has done for me. We will rely on our striving to trust rather than Jesus' finished work. You want to know how to tell? To live on the roller coaster of pride and shame. We're always striving and rarely resting where the, the default mode of our life is to ride the roller coaster of pride and shame, where we do it right and we're somewhat successful in this Christian life. And so we're somewhat successful. We're doing it good and we're going up and we get prideful. Maybe we don't do it outwardly, but we pat ourselves on the back. But then, but then that moment comes when we don't. We've, we don't have the energy. We don't have the strength. We've had a bad day. We had a bad week. And then we fail. And then it's shame wanting to hide from God, wanting to hide from others. We live on the roller coaster of pride and shame. The, again, where we're always striving and rarely resting. But I want you to hear what Colossians 2, 6 says. And here, listen to this carefully. It says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, so live in him. I want to tell you that Nobody has ever lived the Christian life except for Jesus. And he, those of us who live the Christian life, he lives the Christian life through us. And Paul in Colossians 2, 6 is saying, in the same way you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, by faith, walk in him, trusting him.
And then I was, got to be here last week, and, and we looked at chapter 17, verses, when I, we got to verses 5 and 6. I was stunned reading about the, the grain of mustard seed. And one thing that I wrote down in my notes, one of the things that I wrote down in my notes was this, that, I, that oftentimes I am thinking that I can't live up to the expectations I have myself or other people have or what I think God has for me. That I may, I may not be able to live up to that. I have tried hard and don't have the heart to do it. And guess what? That's right. I don't. And if we believe, we come to a place where we say, no, I don't have it. I don't have it in me outside of Jesus to do this. That's a great place. Psalm 73, 26 says this. It says, oh, I just lost it. <laughs> it says, my heart and my flesh may fail, but the Lord is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I want to tell you some good news. If you feel like you're on the verge of your heart failing and you are just at a point of saying, I, I, I got to keep this up, but I don't know if I have enough strength to keep it up. Good news. Let your heart fail because God does not fail and he is the strength of your heart. Oftentimes our faith feels like less than a mustard seed. But it's not about the amount of faith or the amount of desire to have faith, but the object of our faith. It is not about our amount of faith or desire to have faith, but it's the object of our faith, the person of Jesus. This is not a call to work harder. It's an invitation to gaze on the faithfulness of our God by his grace. And the thing is that he shows up. And when he shows up, he gives us reason to believe. Now let me, I want to say a couple more things and then, then I'll pray. And these are just encouragements to you uh, that I think come out of this text and the first thing, the first thing is this. We are not beyond crying out for mercy. We are not beyond crying out for mercy. People like me who are try, at least try to be a high performer tend to feel self-sufficient. And we don't cry out for mercy. But we never grow past the gospel. We never get over the gospel we are never too mature to go to the elementary points of the gospel. We constantly need to be reminded. We don't go past the gospel. We just go deeper into it and understand Jesus' life and death and resurrection even more. And how we welcome outsiders shows how we understand the welcome of God. If we think that we have earned our welcome from God, then we will expect others to earn our welcome. If we think we have earned our welcome from God, then we will expect others to earn our welcome. And this is not just like when the church gathers. This is in all of life. Every time we're around people, 
Do we expect them to live up to our expectations to find a welcome from our life, or do we show them grace? No one, no one has ever earned what Jesus gives, and we shouldn't expect others to earn what Jesus gives. This is about reliance on a God who does not hesitate to give mercy to people who see their need and acknowledge their need. So be a person that's affected by the gospel. And then the the more of this fellowship becomes affected by the gospel, the more this community will be defined by the gospel. So we're not beyond crying for mercy. And then finally, just a call to a simple trust in a merciful master. Simple trust in a merciful master. <laughs> Matthew chapter 4, Jesus called his disciples. You may be familiar with that. He, he tells a couple sets of brothers who were fishing, come with me, follow me. And they, they drop their nets, they follow him. It's a great story. When, when I see that, I love that story, uh, but then I think, what happened 15 minutes later? I kind of think that maybe Jesus pulled them aside and they, they got in a huddle and said, okay, guys, here's our five-year plan. This is what's going to happen. These things, I just want you to get ready. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be fun. But get ready because it's coming. That's what I wish Jesus would do. But he doesn't do that. He just said, simply come and trust me. Now, that doesn't mean we don't plan. That doesn't mean we don't think about things. It just means that our priority is to follow Jesus wherever he leads us and to trust him through wherever he takes us. There's a story. One of my heroes is a man named Hudson Taylor. He's a missionary to China in the in the 19th and early 20th century, is a man who, the reason that I love to read, I've read his, his uh, biography like 10 times because I kind of want to get a glimpse of what he saw in God the Father and uh, just trusting him with his entire life because I don't feel like I'm that guy. And so I'll, I love to read his story. And, and this summer I was reading it again, and I read the story about, he was a, he was a, uh, a doctor, and so he was taking over a hospital from another doctor. The other doctor supported the hospital with his private practice in China. So that doctor had to go, and so Hudson Taylor took it over, and they very quickly started running out of money. And this was in a point in my life this summer where I was really fearful about money. And so... I was thinking, what would I do if I saw that resources were going down, all of them, and then I had people to take care of, what would I do? My first thought would be, God's done. That would be my first thought, God's done. But that's not what Hudson Taylor's thought was. He said, no, no, this is a great opportunity to see God come through on his promises. It's like, okay, I mean, someday I might get that. And so what happened they got, they got down to the last bag of rice. They opened the last bag of rice, and somebody went to Hudson Taylor and said, hey, we just opened our last bag of rice. And in, in his way, uh, 
Mr. Taylor said, okay, well, now we're on the verge of seeing God come through. And no kidding, before that bag of rice ran out, everybody who is a patient, everybody who is working there, saw and heard God come through because somebody from England had sent something months before, a, a sum of money, to help them pay for rice and all the expenses. And all the people who believed their faith was strengthened, everybody who didn't yet believe saw something different. But I would have felt under pressure, and I would imagine that there are times when you do too feel under pressure. And when we feel under pressure, what we really believe about God comes out. What we really rely on shows. We probably, many, many of us, default to pragmatism. Just what works. Let's just do whatever works. And it looks like wisdom. But that may be a mask for fear. But this is an invitation for you to look for the new thing that the Spirit wants to do among you. This is good news. The Spirit is doing new things and wants to do new things among you. Look for it. Just look, expect it. Look at circumstances through the mercy of Jesus, not the mercy of Jesus through circumstances. And then maybe we can all celebrate like this man who came to Jesus and fell on his face, giving him thanks. Because he had an encounter with a God who's his merciful master. Let's pray. Wow, those are a lot of words. But I ask that your words would stick. Lord, what we need more than anything is to know your heart, to know your goodness. Through all of the, the things that we deal with day by day, it's easy to forget that. Lord, would you impress upon our hearts your goodness and your, your love? Help us to be people that cry out for mercy, that we are unashamed to come to you and ask for mercy. Lord, my prayer for my brothers and sisters in this city is that they would flourish. That they would trust you deeper than they ever have before. They would dive deeper into your gospel more than they ever have before. And that we can continue to be, we can just Show your presence and your love and your life to this city. So, we're yours and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.